What's up, beautiful people? How's everybody doing? Good? It's good to be back. Good to be back. If you guys don't know who I am, my name is Pastor D and um, PD, P. Diddy, Pastor Disaster, whatever you want to call me. Uh, just call me. <laughs> I'm so glad to be in church with you today and I'm so happy that uh, we got to worship like we did just a few minutes ago. Man, we got a rocking worship team. Amen. We are blessed. We are blessed. I tell you what, let's just go home. No, we're not doing that. Amen. Hey, um, I just want to do a real quick uh, welcome to our online viewers and also our Framingham campus. Can you guys give them your best? We love you guys. God bless you. All you guys that are watching online, so stinking proud of you. So awesome. Framingham's doing great things, by the way. Uh, you know, uh, a lot of times churches go into decline during the summer, but uh, Framingham has held its own all through the summer. In fact, uh, we've seen a little bit of a bump come up, and um, they're just doing a great job. They've got their, their, their kind of their own identity and community. We're all one church, you know, many locations, but you got to have your own kind of community identity. And for a while, it was just going week to week, and now uh, they're having their own connections. They've got small groups running. They've got new leaders coming on board, and and uh, it's just a special, special thing that's happening over there in the Cameron Middle School. Um, I was at my gym this last week, and somebody came up and said, are you the pastor? And I said, maybe. <laughs> um, why? Um, and uh, they said, yeah, is that, is that um, you the pastor of that church connect? And I said, yeah, yes, I am. And they said, well, we just, we just see all these signs and all these cars going in, and we just keep thinking about going there. And I, so I was able to just basically, because of all the buzz and the external, be able to promote what was happening internally. Amen. It was cool. Really, really cool. I want to um, make a couple quick announcements, and then I'm really excited to kind of preach a word to you. Um, I've been um, out of the pulpit here. I was preaching in Maine last weekend, but I've been out of the pulpit here, and I'm just like, I'm ready to go, you know, tear it up. And so I hope you guys are ready. Are you ready? I'm ready. I'm ready for, to, to bring a word. But I want to tell you about something that I think would help some of you out. And I just want to say straight up, I'm really looking at the guys in the room. And I just hope you guys perk up a little bit. But there's a missions trip coming up. Uh, we have a men's and women's trip. The women's trip, I think, is full or close to full. But the men's trip is coming up. If you're interested in going on a missions trip, just go to our website, weconnect.cc, or see Pastor Mark, our, our, lo our location, our campus pastor here. Uh, he's roaming around here somewhere, uh, probably in the uh, guest central area. And he can give you specific information. But let me just say, if you've never been on a missions trip, uh, it could change your life, literally change your life. All of my kids have, I've been on, uh, on the mission field many, many times. My kids all went on a mission trip multiple times. Uh, they went because they wanted to. If they didn't go, I would have made them <laughs> because I wanted them to change their life. No. Um, and, uh, but it's one of those things that it's almost more for you than it is for them. In other words, I used to look at it as a skeptic and say, what can I possibly do that has real meaning and impact in a week? And the truth is, uh, one week away from all of this and the crazy nuts world that we live in, the self-absorption, the, the preoccupation with goals and things that really do not uh, make an eternal difference, and going away, uh, doing life with some other uh, guys on a trip or women on a trip, and sometimes we combine it to make a difference together literally can be transformational for you. So I just want to encourage you to check that out or at least ask some questions about it. You know, in other faiths, if you were in... 
uh, if you were a Muslim, it would be a, a you, you have to do that one time in your life. You'd have to go to the Mecca, the city, and the, 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 kind of the holy city in Saudi Arabia. And uh, they would make that a requirement. And, and, and I don't think it should be something we have to do. I, should, I think it should be something we get to do. But it, that attitude and that mindset and that separation sometimes from all the things we're doing can be extremely transformational for you. We have our own mission in the Dominican Republic. We started it over 25 years ago, and so it's different because you can, many people in this community uh, at Connect are sponsoring children in the Dominican Republic. We have 170 plus children that are meeting on a regular basis in our own, very own Hope Center. In addition to that, we have a villa, a three-story villa, sleeps around 35 people, and we have mission teams that come from all over the country, but our own church sometimes is poorly attending our own mission. I think it's because we need to do a better job casting vision. I need to do a better job telling you about it, and so that's what I'm doing. It can literally change your life. It's changing people's lives all around the world, and you can go down there, and you can make an impact in children. You can even sponsor a child and know who that child is opposed to, as opposed to just being here in this country writing checks. You can actually have relationship and invest in them in a powerful way. Amen? So that's missions. The second thing I wanted to tell you was an update on what's going on in Pakistan. Um, we have a connection um, to an uh, evangelist and his wife, a pastor and his wife, John and Rachel, and we've been sowing seed into that community, um, and, and, and it's, it's making a big difference. In fact, I wish I could tell you all the things that have been happening there. I'm going to pull up his message from uh, yesterday, but... Um, how many know what I'm talking about when I say Pakistan? If you're a regular attendee, you know we've had them come over. Uh, we're, uh, you know, I did an online crusade. Uh, so through technology, they basically piped me in live, and then I preached to people in Pakistan. And last, the first time I did this was about two months ago, and there were about 1,500 people on the other side of the camera in a remote area. So they have large open-air events. His last event had 70,000 people at it, which is incredible. But then they have these more like um, remote areas that they go to, and they, and they try to start churches there, these little hubs. And so I'm kind of like the carrot to bring these people out, which is crazy, and I don't understand that. Um, and then from that, they, they begin to witness to people in the area, invite them to water baptism, give them Bibles, train up leaders, start churches. And he plans to start 100 churches this year, 100 churches this year. And so you as a church, with just a little bit of vision, I just said, hey, if you want to invest in this, you can. And basically, a certain amount of money came in, and we rented buses for them to, pipe, to move these people from one location, different locations, because they come from very far away to hear uh, the Word of God. Some of them like three, four hours away just to hear me piped, you know, through from whatever, two, three, four thousand miles, four thousand miles away, um, to hear the Word of God. It's just amazing. And then we sow seed into giving them Bibles. And so uh, we did that uh, several times, and we just did it a couple months ago. And I said something like this in a service a couple of months ago, and one guy in this audience uh, gave $4,000 to Pakistan. So when Pastor John called me and said, would you, would you consider sowing into this next crusade? I said, how much do you need? And I just sent it to him. And so we were able to rent buses and buy, and buy Bibles for this last crusade. And at this last crusade, um, this is just Thursday at 11.30 a.m., I was preaching, and it was, uh, I think, around 8.30 p.m. there. Are you guys interested in this? So I'm pulling up my Facebook right now because uh, that's how we communicate regularly. He said, Pastor, dear, he always calls me dear pastor, greetings to you. We have an awesome report 
uh, from your event. Over 247 people gave their heart to the Lord uh, that night. Many people... Uh, many people walked from three hours away from the city of Lahore to this village, but the Lord did an awesome work. Now, this is going to blow your mind, and I'm setting up our message a little bit. Some of you have never heard stuff like what I'm going to say. Um, many, many testimonies take place. 22 people repented from black magic. One person was doing grave worshiping for 15 years, and he repented and gave his heart to the Lord. One family was suffering from an evil spirit, and the Lord set them free. And there was a couple who was possessed by evil spirits, and they were set free at your word. Also, there was a kid who had a tumor on his arm. I actually called out a cancerous tumor in the message by the Spirit and just said somebody who has a tumor on their arm is being healed. And he said he got healed from cancer, and the tumor fell off. There was a person who wasn't able to hear from one side, and he got healed. There are many, many testimonies from people with different pains got healed. Praise God. Is that amazing? Come on, Jesus. Come on, Jesus. That just happened. Uh, there's so much I could say about this, but I remember I was preaching, and I could just see uh, uh, just certain section of people in front of me, and there was rows of, of, uh, of children in front of me, and there was... Uh, I began, after, after I gave a message for people to receive Christ, uh, that's when the 247 people, there are more, way more people than that there, but they go around and they talk to them afterwards because I basically ask them all to pray and then they have conversations with them afterwards because they're afraid to raise the hand or to reveal themselves for fear they could be persecuted or even killed depending on who's there and where they are. So they go around and they talk to them and then they invite them to a water baptism and then at the water baptism they'll give them a Bible if they got water baptized. So it's a very strategic thing that they go through. But when I began, after the altar call, they, they said just whatever you, this is language that we use in Christianity so I know it's foreign to some people here. They basically said whatever you receive by the Spirit, just pray it out and pray for people. So I just, there was just one, very early I just said, I, I, I come against in Jesus' name mental illness, depression, anxiety, and a spirit of suicide over children. And as soon as I said that, they were all standing up because I wanted, and I had their hands raised so they were received from God. And, I, and the whole second row in front of me, like 15, 20 kids, crumbled under the power of the Holy Spirit. They just all fell down in front of me. And so I was startled, just so you know, I was like, oh, whoa. And I actually felt something come back at me, you know, and I just thought, oh, my gosh, God is moving in a powerful way. I started to tear up. And then I just said, God is your son. Continue to do miracles. And I just started speaking miracles out. And that's when I spoke about a cancerous tumor and a guy got healed. Is that powerful stuff? Come on, Jesus. So... So I'm going to do a little mini-series today and next week. So today's I Need a Miracle. Next week is I Need a Word from God, okay? So if anybody's interested, it's like a little mini-series. I was going to call it A Quiet Place based on a movie, but, um, you know, we, some of us need a miracle in certain situations, and some of us need to be able to speak, hear a word spoken from God. And so I want, to, I want to do a little bit about that. But this message that I'm preaching to you today, I actually preached to uh, Pakistan. And so wouldn't it be interesting if we could have the same kind of results here in America that they had in Pakistan? And is it, is it maybe possible that your expectation or anticipation or belief in the words that come out of my mouth that are from the words, the words of God or come from God might have the same power for you that they had for the people in Pakistan? Just something for you to think about. Would you close your eyes and let me pray for you? Father, for every person within the sound of my voice here in this room and those that even listen online, I know that through technology, God, you can do miraculous things. And I believe with all my heart that there are people here who might need a miracle. And if they don't, 
Someday they will. And I pray that you would ready us and prepare us, teach us and instruct us on how to receive a miracle from a miracle-working God in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Turn to your neighbor and say, get ready, get ready, get ready. <laughs> Have you ever felt like you needed a miracle? Has there, been a, has there been a time like where you said to yourself, the doctors don't have an answer. Uh, my boss doesn't have a solution. My parents don't have the ability to solve this problem. I don't have the ability. To, the only thing that will do is a miracle. That's what miracles are for. Those types of situations. Now, I think in our country, in our circumstances, in our region even, in specifically the New England region, we have a more self-reliant, you know, um, self-sufficiency to our area. We're kind of like, I got it. Here's the Heisman God. Like, we're okay. And so I don't think we're typically trained or uh, things that haven't been adequately explained maybe the way they need to because we're sometimes not looking for a miracle or think a miracle is possible. But sometimes only a miracle will do. One of the core values of Connect is we call it the power of God. It's it's in the word, but it's a value for us. And what we want to do better is infuse the culture of our church with the idea that anything is possible. And, 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 and this is a notion that I find leaving our devotion. This is an idea that I find lifted from our lives. Like we, we, don't, we don't lean on, rely on, look to, or run to God when we are in trouble. A lot of times we're quick to go to ibuprofen before we go to a promise from God. We're quick to go to the doctor's report before we go to God's report. We're quick to, 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 to lean on our own understanding and not lean on God's understanding. And I, I, think, I think we can do a lot better than that as Christ followers. Amen? And, and I actually believe, and I can see it in God's word, that miracles and, and signs and wonders and things like that, according to Scripture, should be more commonplace for Christ followers. In fact, it's not in your notes, but John 14, 12, uh, Jesus was speaking. He says, I tell you the truth. That means he's not lying. Anyone who has faith in me, everybody say faith in me, faith in me, will do what I've been doing. So I read that, and I'm, I'm, not, I, I'm not a genius, but I'm not stupid. I read that, I think, well, what was he doing? Well, he was healing the sick. He, the lame would walk. People that were deaf could hear again. The mute could speak. Eyes were opened. People that were uh, oppressed or possessed by the enemy were set free. People that were dead would come back to life. And then he goes on to say, and you're going to do even greater things. Huh? What? Like, you know? Because I'm going to go to my father. Why? Because I want to. This ministry that I have, I want to disperse it upon the local church. And I think he, he thinks that we should be the most dynamic, powerful, uh, you know, equipped, supernatural group of people that could not only minister to our, each other, but we could minister to the people around us. And, and it should be more commonplace than it is. And so don't answer out loud, but do you really still believe in miracles? 
And I think there's one part of you, just like there's one part of me, that says, yes, absolutely. But there's another part of me that is confused, frustrated, because we, we have some problems with some stuff. We have some problems with, with some situations that are, that are stated in the Bible. We have some problems with some observations that we've made uh, from other people, uh, from you know, experiences that we've heard from other people, uh, maybe some, some wacky, kooky Christians, right? We've all, we've all, how many know some wacky, kooky Christians? Okay. All right, if you're not raising your hand, you missed it. You missed it. You were exposed right there. <laughs> see, see, there's this tension between the I believe and, and, and there's this push-pull between I believe and the skeptic, skeptical, you know, frustrating, inconclusive, I'm not seeing it. What about this? Let me, let me give you a point in case. Uh, Years ago, and, and this is why I was encouraged to do this, but years ago, I prayed for a guy. I was at a wedding. I was performing the wedding. I was officiating the wedding. And there's a girl in our church. She's still a member of this church today. And, and um, there was an observer. It was the DJ. And the DJ wasn't a Christ follower. He was a seeker, but he wasn't a Christ follower. Well, little did anybody know, but he knew, he just got diagnosed with stage 4 melanoma cancer. And so he was, in his mind, he was performing maybe one of his last weddings and something I said or something happened or something prompted him to come to the table at the reception and actually he didn't come to the table he sent somebody to the table to see if I would pray for him and so me and the the bride's father went and prayed for this guy and first before we prayed for him and he wanted a prayer for healing for a miracle because only a miracle would do I mean he was basically told you're going to go, you're going you're gonna to leave this life. And he was a young man. He was like 28, 29 years old. And so I said to him, well, let me tell you something. I, want, I, I got some good news for you that if you did leave this life, I can assure you of the best life eternally. And the greatest, because I believe the greatest miracle of all is, is the, the, the salvation of the human heart. And so I still think to this day it's the greatest miracle of all and it's every other miracle and every other situation support it. Why? Because it's an eternal miracle and I could pray for someone to be healed and they'd be healed and I told them this, but you're still going to die. Isn't that good news? You're still going to die. So all we would do is temporarily solve this problem, but God wants to eternally solve your big problem, and that is separation from God and instead communion and relationship with God forever. So we introduced him to Jesus. He came to the saving grace of Jesus Christ. He made that faith reception, and you could see something begin to change. But then in the middle of that, and I pinch myself sometimes because I think, what happened to me? Because I was so bold in this situation and I'm going to explain why later and why you don't sometimes too. But I was bold and I just said, I, just said, I want to pray for you. Where's that, where's, where's that cancer? He says, well, it's, it's in my shoulder, but it's, it's, it's gone into lymph nodes, but there's a growth on my shoulder. I said, show, show it to me. And so I laid my hands right on that tumor and I said, in the name of Jesus, I'm your son, God, but in the name of Jesus, I'm coming to you as your son. And I curse this melanoma, this, this cancer, and I pray that it would die and that through my hands, your healing virtue, something like that, I said, and I prayed for him to be healed. And then I just went on and ate my steak and my chicken or whatever I had. <laughs> anyway, that night when he went home, he, he just felt the presence of God overcome him and he was just grateful and he was just kind of, he didn't even know what he was doing, he was sort of worshiping. This is the story that I heard later and I'll explain why. And he gets home and he's changing to get in the shower and he takes his shirt off and the tumor falls off. 
He goes to the doctor. It's confirmed the cancer 100% gone. Now, now this is, yeah, glory to God. I got to let you do that. And this is, and what's crazy too is he didn't tell me that till a year later. <laughs> what? I don't know why. I was just, oh, I was just crazy, but I didn't find out till a long time later. Anyway, contrast that, another story. So I have this couple in our church, and they're going through hell in a handbag, and their marriage is falling apart, and apparently there was infidelity, and the wife says, you go see Pastor D, or we're done. <laughs> How's that for an ultimatum? <laughs> it's like, awesome. Thanks for, I love my job. <laughs> so he comes in to see me, and he's like, if, if, it's, if, it's, if that's not bad enough, he goes, I have melanoma, and it's stage four, and it's, it's really, really bad, and I'm scared. I'm really, really scared. Similarly, I introduce him to Jesus. I basically just say, you know, nothing's going to change until you change your heart. The greatest miracle of all. And, and he, I said, you, you want, what do you want from me? He goes, I want to be healed. I said, so you want to make a deal with God. You want him to heal you, and then you're going to, what, be a better husband, stop cheating on your wife, blah, blah. What are you going to do? I said, God doesn't make any deals. You need, to, you need to submit and surrender your life to him no matter what. And he said, okay, I will. And he got down on his knees downstairs when my office used to be down here, and he gave his life to Jesus Christ. And then after that, I said, I'm going to commit to pray for you till you receive your healing. And I prayed for him, and nothing happened. And every single day, I'm not lying, for something like 90 days, I'd get up every single morning on my knees, and I'd plead with heaven to heal my friend. And he became my friend. And, I used to, and, 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 and he died. And he died. The good news is he's in heaven because to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And that is the most important thing. And I spoke at his, at his funeral and uh, was able to confidently say to his loved ones and friends, and in particular his wife, that he, you would see him again one day. But I was busted up by that. I was frustrated. I was frustrated because on one hand, I just spoke and the thing just died and just cancer just crumbled. And, and Jesus healed a person. And then only, it seemed like only, you know, not too long later, I'm praying for somebody who I loved even more. I, we, had, we had a relationship. We became very, very close. I carried his obituary picture around in my wallet for a decade. I was, we were just, it, was just it, was, it affected me. It left kind of like a tattoo on my, on my heart. But sometimes I say that to just make a point of connection. Sometimes it doesn't work out. Sometimes it, you, you know it can happen. You long for it to happen. You believe for it to happen. You prayed for it to happen but it doesn't happen. And I can't answer all the questions why that is, but I'm going to attempt to answer a couple of those as we go forward. But the point is, sometimes there's a frustration of faith. Sometimes we wonder, is it God? Sometimes we wonder, is it, is it us? Sometimes we wonder, is it both of us? But Jesus comes along in John 14 and says, you know, it's easy. Just believe on me. And you can do even greater things. And, and, and I'm like, huh? Have you ever been frustrated in the things that you believed for and they didn't come to pass? So there's this cool story in the Bible, if you have. It's in Mark chapter 9. Um, if you're taking notes, Mark chapter 9 unpacks this story. And Jesus is, at the moment, he's off someplace else and his disciples are going around doing what he told them to do. And he's, they're doing pretty good. And then they come in contact with this father and a child and they pray for this young boy to be healed, to be set free, and he's not and a kind of an argument or a debate ensues between uh, these people. And Jesus shows up and is basically like, hey, guys, what are, you, what are you arguing about? 
And they said, well, a man in the crowd said, teacher, I brought you my son who is possessed by a spirit that has robbed him of his speech. Whenever it sees him, it throws him to the ground. He foams at the mouth, gnashes his teeth, and becomes rigid. Some of you with kids see this a lot. (laughs) At every mall and at every ice cream shop in America, we see these demonic activities. So don't look at me like this is unusual. This happens all the time. I asked your disciples to drive out the spirit, but they couldn't do it. And up until that point, they'd been very successful. If you follow the life and times of the disciples at the time, all kinds of awesome stuff is happening, but they come upon something and it doesn't work out. And, she, and they're frustrated with Jesus. Now look at this. They're frustrated, but Jesus is frustrated with them. He says, you unbelieving generation. In one translation, the synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, the same story in another The same story in another book in the Bible says, you unbelieving and perverse generation. He's basically saying, unbelieving means you're too disconnected from God and you're overly connected to the world. That's your problem. That's your problem. It's bad English, but it's good preaching. You unbelieving generation, Jesus replied, how long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? I'm frustrated with you. Bring that boy to me. Okay, so that's that's what's going on here. So they brought him. When the spirit saw Jesus, it immediately threw the boy into convulsion. He fell to the ground and he rolled around foaming at the mouth because he knows, the spirit knows, a reckoning is a coming. And so this is what I think. I think Jesus wasn't like the disciples. He wasn't like the dad. I think he was cool as a cucumber in this situation. If there had been an apple nearby, he would have just been that... Dad, how long has he been this way? Like, I mean, he was just cool as a cucumber. And he's modeling for the disciples kind of what's up. And so he asks the father, how long has he been like this? And the the guy says, well, from childhood, he answered. It's often thrown him into the fire, the water to kill him. But if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. Now, he goes on and he exclaims, watch this, it says, well, Jesus, first of all, says, what do you mean, if I can? Again, see, frustration, frustration. If I can, listen, it's easy. Everything is possible for the one who believes. <laughs> the boy's like, the boy's father's like, what? He, the father exclaims and says, I do believe, help me overcome my unbelief. Now, in the Greek, that word exclaimed There's an original language that this was written in, and sometimes you can get different nuances from a word or definitions from the word, but that word exclaimed is the word kradzo, and it basically, it means he, uh, a better definition would be he croaked, he like, it's like to gasp like a crow or like a raven. He was like, ah, ah, I don't believe It's not like exclaim, period, like we read stories, okay? So sometimes you're like reading something and you're not getting what's going on. He's like, ah! Ah! (laughs) Ah! I'm just making sure it pops, okay, everybody? He crotzoed. He says, I know. I know you can, but can you help us? I know you did, but what about me and my kid, what's going on here? Do something, God. Won't you do? Have you ever been in a situation where you're like, ah, help me? Ah! 
God, help me down here. <laughs> See, that crozzo, that frustration, that feeling is a common occurrence in the development of a miracle. That frustration. It's just got to be a focused frustration, not a, not a misdirected frustration. A lot of times it's just simply misdirected. I actually believe many here are unbelieving believers. Many people believe, but they have doubts. How can we have both faith and doubt at the same time? And frankly, how do we separate that so that our frustration is turned uh, to faith? And so here's, if you need a miracle, then let me just say this. You got to get rid of this doubting faith, all right? Everybody has a doubting faith. Why do we doubt? Here's the first reason, and it's in this story, and it's powerful. It says, the reason we doubt is because of the people around us. We believe like the people around us. The word says, Jesus speaking, oh, unbelieving generation. He doesn't say, oh, dad, you have so little faith. Oh, unbelieving father, that's your problem. No, he says, this is what my wife says, all y'all are an unbelieving generation. See, our problem, the reason sometimes we don't see the miraculous intervention of God, we need a miracle but don't get it, is because we're an unbelieving generation. We are around, saturated by, situated near, so much unbelief that our faith is literally leaking out of us and false doctrine is coming into us on a regular, on a regular is everybody tracking with me? He's saying you're all this way. Sometimes unbelievers believe more than believers do in our current world today. Even Jesus would remove himself from doubters before he would pray for somebody. Not because he was afraid of being infected. I believe it. It was for our instruction that he did that. Is everybody up for the snack right here? Okay, so 2 Corinthians 6, 14, a very familiar passage to those of us who've been in the faith a long time. But sometimes it's misinterpreted, misunderstood. I want you to see how who you do life with, who you surround yourself with when you're believing for a miracle can affect you. It says, don't be yoked together with unbelievers. Now, foolishly, sometimes people in my position have taught, separate yourself from people who don't believe. Well, that's nonsense. That's not congruent with the rest of scriptures that tells us we're called to be a salt and a light to the world. We're called to be ambassadors for Jesus Christ. We're called to go into all the world and make disciples. I'm sorry, sir, but that's not right. No, it's, it's saying to you and me, in fact, the, 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 a better translation of this comes from the New King James or the King James. It says, don't be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. What does that mean? It means if you can't be a stronger influence on them than they are on you, take a step back, get a tic-tac. If you have bad breath, that's what you do. So you don't get infected. Right? So, so it's talking about out of balance. Many of us in our generation, in our culture right now, don't see miracles because we're unequally yoked. We're out of balance in our relationships, and it's affecting our faith, and it's creating frustration. Here's another reason. Is everybody still getting something out of this? Another reason we have doubt is because we believe God is fickle. God is fickle. We think he changes on a dime all the time. Fickle in Webster's Dictionary is this. It's an unpredictable changeableness. Unpredictable changeableness. Fickle. Fickle folk. Fickle faith people, 
I just had a girl text me not too long ago, and she was frustrated, and she says, I hate men. Send. And that's, what, that's all I got. I'm like, okay, what do you want me to do with this? And then a few minutes later, it says, never mind. He texted me back. False alarm. <laughs> that is a fickle sister. Fickle sister, everybody. In other words, we're that way in our faith. You did it for them. Why won't you do it for me? You did it in the Bible, but why won't you do it now? We're fickle in our faith. In Mark chapter 9, verse 22, the Bible says, this father's talking, and he says, it often throws them into the, to the fire, or the water. And then he says, but if you can, see, when he says, if you can, and Jesus says, what do you mean if I can? I actually don't believe the father didn't believe God could, Jesus could. I believe he was concerned he would for him. Because, right, if you look at the context of the scripture, and only just a few words later, he says, take pity on us. So he's like, I know you were doing a great job all over the place, all over the region. I'm hearing about miracles. That's why I'm coming to you. My issue isn't, I don't think you can. My issue doesn't think you couldn't. My issue is maybe you wouldn't. And so that's what gets in the way sometimes is we think God's fickle. Oh, he'll do it for him. He'll do it for her. But he doesn't want to do it for me. Can you see how that belief system, and you know what, it's normal, but we've got to get over that. The, the psalmist, David, said in uh, a Psalm chapter 10, verse 1, it says, why, Lord, do you stand far off? Why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? That's just not true. But David would talk it out, work it out, and by the end, you know, of the psalm, you'd be reading it, and he'd be like, oh, thank God you're with me, you know, until I entered the sanctuary, I did not see my enemy's demise. Thank you, God, you know, that you're near to the brokenhearted, you saved those that are crushed. So he was working it out. It's okay to talk it out, but make sure you work it out. Make sure you don't let that bad theology seep into your soul and affect the supernatural intervention of God in your life. Here's the, here's the final doubter that gets in our life is we believe sort of. <laughs> There's a mixture. We believe sort of. See, you need to be warned that the Lord finds that frustrating. I'll just say this too about people that sometimes struggle in their walk with God. It's because... I've never met a part-time Christian who fell away from the Lord. Excuse me, a full-time Christian who fell away from the Lord. Only part-time. It's the same way it, it, we might see a lot more of the intervention of God if we, we were all in. See, God wants us all in or all out. He, he wants you either hot or cold. Lukewarm, he don't like that. That frustrates him. And so, in, in fact, in James chapter 1, this is, a, this is good doctrine, some, something for you to understand in your belief system. In James 1 verse 6, the Bible says, when you ask for something from God, you must believe and, don't, and not doubt. So you have to go in with this mentality, this mindset, this certainty, because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea, blown and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive Anything from the Lord, such a person is double-minded and unstable in all his ways and all he does. That's, that's, anything other than that is bad doctrine that's seeping into our soul and it's affecting the things we do, the things we believe, the things we say. Sometimes we say things that put a stop payment to our miracle. Well, somebody can, Pastor Devin or, or, or Pastor Mark or Pastor, somebody can pray for you to be healed and only a few minutes later you can say something that cancels that promise 
coming to fruition in your life. Because we've allowed false doctrine to step, and we've allowed unbelief to step into and seep into our soul. Is everybody tracking with me? I'm going to blow your minds with a couple of stories, and, and so, but th- these things happen to me. So, and it just kind of ties into the, the main text today, and, and I was preaching in Pakistan, so you're just going to have to deal with me. But uh, when I was a boy, I used to have, I used to think I was the only one that had this until last service when like five people came up to me and said the same thing happened to me. But when I was a boy, I used to have bad dreams. I'll start there. But when I say bad dreams, I meant like tormenting, demonic dreams, and I would be attacked in my dreams and in my sleep, and I believed or I, I felt the presence of, of the, the devil strangulating me to suffocate me. Now, I believe, just like in this story where the demon sees the boy so he couldn't speak, I believe that the devil is not omniscient, but he's intelligent, and he can recognize the path and purpose of a person often before that person can recognize or see it themselves. And so he'll try to create an intersection to destroy the plan of God for somebody's life. And so I think that's why he sees that boy, because I bet he was supposed to be a preacher or a communicator or something like that, to take his tongue. Some people who've been stutterers, some people who've been, uh, you know, dealt with timidity or shy or fear of man or things like that, oftentimes they're supposed to be public. And the enemy comes in and says, I know where you're going, I'm going to try to stifle that with shame, I'm going to try to stifle that with some kind of attack. I think the enemy was trying to stop me and my purpose and my vision and the dreams that God had in my heart so that I would just be tormented in all my dreams so I wouldn't have dreams from God. And so I would be suffocated. And, and my parents were telling me, and they were Christ followers, when that happens, you know, you just need to rebuke the devil, and he'll flee from you. And I was hearing all these scriptures, and, and I would do what they say, and it wouldn't happen. Because it was in my sleep. It was in my dreams. And, and so what I would do is I'd get up in the middle of the night. When this would happen, I'd just wake up gasping and just sweating like a little boy. I'd be like eight, nine years old, just sweating from head to toe. And I'd go into my parents' room, and I'd always wake my parents up. And they're like, what, what? I'm, like, I'm just going to the bathroom. I had to tell them I'm going to the bathroom every time. You know what I mean? Yeah, we know, son. Okay, that's great. That's great. But I was really just like, I don't know what. I was just trying to like rub these evil spirits off on them. Maybe they'd stay with them and then I could go back to bed or something. Or they'd see them and knock them out. Or I, I don't know. I, I just, I was just tormented. So then I go back to bed, and, and, and eventually, long story short, you know, I had to face the enemy. And there's another whole message to this, but sometimes you guys are hiding from your enemy instead of facing your enemy. You don't know your identity in Christ, and, and sometimes the enemy is lying to you, and he's convincing you you can't do something, and it's a lie, and every bondage is built on a lie, and you have to expose the lie to the truth of God's word. And I realized that I had authority over this, and that I could still rebuke the devil even in my sleep. And so I, 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 con- I was convinced of that in my soul. And then one day, it was somewhere in my dreams, I rebuked the devil and he let go of me. He had to let go of me because there was authority. And I asked God to take away all my bad dreams. I don't want to have any dreams at all. I don't want to remember anything. I just want to have peaceful sleep. To this day, I never remember what I dreamed. I wake up, maybe I did have a dream, but as soon as I wake up, I forget to this day. So I could ask God, forgive me some dreams, but... It's working. <laughs> it's working. And, and it's because of this recognition. And I'll just say something. You are a spiritual being having a human experience. And, 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 and some people have equipment and tools and the ability to tune in to the frequencies that are there with like radio waves and find sounds and find things that are happening in, in a realm that you cannot see. God 
operates in a realm that you cannot see that affects a realm that you can see. And he wants to teach you and instruct you that the weapons that you fight with are not carnal, fleshly, but they are mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. That you have power as a spiritual being living in a body with a mind. You have power, but a lot of your battles will be won by the spirits, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. The word talks about this all over the place. And in the spiritual realm, not in all things, but there's a certain place where I felt strong. I think I inherited it from my daddy. There's a gift called the discerning of spirits. Have anybody ever heard of this gift? It's not called discernment. It's called the discerning of spirits in 1 Corinthians. And so I, I can, I think from childhood, because of this experience, I recognize spiritual activity or sense it or feel it and sometimes can name it very, very quickly. And as a result, I've been involved in some really crazy things to you, but they're kind of normal to me. In fact, one time my father and I were asked to go to a house that was haunted in Ashland. And this couple was coming to our church living in torment every single night because the house was haunted. Am I freaking everybody out in this house? Praise the Lord. And so, and so <laughs> you're like, what is going on? I brought a guest. Um, <laughs> they'll either come back every week or run for the hills. They're crazy. But anyway, I went with my father to this house because there was all this stuff. And, and listen, all I can say is they were legit people in total torment. They were, they were miserable. And I recognized that because I was like that as a boy, and God delivered me, and I know how he did it. And so I, I had confidence as a son in relationship with him using the name of Jesus that we could help him. So we went to this house, and we just cleaned this house out from the devil. But here's what happened. It was awesome. We left. My dad and I are like pumped, you know, and I'm not, I'm not going to lie. It was a little bit of pride. We were like high-fiving each other like, yeah, we just kicked some booty. You know, the devil is running. You know, he comes out. It's one way for you seven. I mean, we're just going crazy. Preacher, preacher talk. Anyway, I went home. This is a true story. You do what you want with it. One of them spirits followed me home. Went to bed that night. In the middle of the night, I could feel this eerie presence in my room. I shot up out of my bed, and I look up, and I can see the outline of a demonic spirit in my house. You're not going to get this at every other church, but you're going to get this here. And I just, I believe what's called praying in the spirit. I just, as a reflex, I just started praying in the spirit because I knew this wasn't, this wasn't normal. Like, this wasn't a prowler. You know what I mean? I couldn't grab my bat. And so I start praying in the spirit, and my wife goes, what, what? Well, I go, oh, nothing, honey. Just relax. Go to sleep. <laughs> it's a demon in our room. It's all right. Just relax. <laughs> She's like, what? Ah! You know, I'm like, it's okay, just relax. Just cover this, cover your head over, or whatever. Anyway, I don't remember exactly what happened after that, but I, I got it, I got it. And I just started coming against this foul spirit. I just commanded out of my house, and don't you don't have a right to be here. And and I had I hadn't really protected our house. I hadn't really, and I started pleading the blood of Jesus over our house, and I ran this this spirit out of our house, literally ran the spirit out of our house. After it's done, I'm not gonna lie, I started singing, I got the power, you know, by you know, I got the power. You know, I started singing that. It was an awesome moment. But, but all that to say, I haven't had the confidence in all areas of the supernatural. But in this particular one, I just kind of wanted to encourage you. We're, we're all in a spiritual battle. And it might be as graphic as that, or it might be you're dealing with sickness. Jesus oftentimes would speak to people who were sick and said, come out of him, you spirit of infirmity. 
He wasn't talking to a cold or cancer. He was talking to a spirit. Why? Because he knows that every physical problem first starts as a spiritual problem. Everyone. Everyone. So we need to grow in our faith to recognize the badge we have in Jesus Christ, the identity we have in Jesus Christ as a Christ follower. You're not just a civilian. You're a soldier in the army of God. And the enemy recognizes that badge. Sometimes that badge is insufficient to do the battle. Sometimes we have to pull some weapons out of our holster and learn how to use those. And that's why the Bible talks about these things in Ephesians 6 and multiple places in the Bible. That's why you should read your Bible. That's why you need to be discipled. That's why you need to come to church. That's why you need to be in small groups. That's why God wants and how he wants to change the world by making you a dynamic, powerful Christ follower. Can I have an amen in this house? So, what does real faith look like? I'm going to race through these points. Real faith, the Bible gives us clear what real faith is. In Hebrews 11.1, 1, it says, Now faith is being sure, everybody say sure, of what we hope for, and certain, everybody say certain, of what we do not see. Sure and certain. This is an attitude. It's a mindset. I don't know how it's going to happen. I don't know when it's going to happen. But I'm sure and I'm certain it's going to happen. I, that when Jesus is saying, oh, unbelieving generation, he's saying, he's also, we're seeing in his word, what does believing look like? It looks sure and certain that God's going to do it. Is the internal, inner man confidence that a supernatural God can, can change a natural situation. And I just simply have to do what I need to do in the natural, and God will add his super to my natural, and then something begins to happen in the, the natural realm in which we live. But how do we do that? The first thing we need to do is we need to understand the authority that comes through his name. Mark 9, 25, the Bible says, When Jesus saw that the crowd was running to the scene, he rebuked the evil spirit. You deaf and mute spirit, he said, I, Jesus, command you, come out of him and never enter him again. This is what I'm talking about. The badge is Jesus' name. The enemy looks at you and he says, oh, he's a son and daughter of God. He knows who he is in Christ Jesus. He wears the name. And a lot of times the enemy won't mess with somebody who knows who they are in Christ Jesus. Sometimes certain enemies of high rank will and they'll attack you, and that's why you're going to have to know your weapons. It's just a kind of a cool thought and another whole teaching there. But sometimes you need to use the name. That's where your miracle comes from. Don't fall asleep on me. This will help some of you. You're going to need a miracle. I'll come out there, I promise. Some of you are going to need a miracle, and you're going to need to know it's not, it's not your name, and it's, it's Jesus' name. And, and whatever pro problems have names, name the problem, his name trumps every other name. Every other name. My kids, when they used to, used to be young, I used to say, Madison, go downstairs and tell your brothers and sisters to come up here for dinner. And she'd come back up. She says, they won't come. I said, go back down there and tell them, Dad said, come to dinner. Why? Because there's authority in a name. I'm nothing compared to the name of Jesus. Whatever can be named, whatever problem you can name, infertility, uh, cancer, uh, depression, uh, anxiety, uh, back problems, uh, financial problems, whatever that name, it is trumped by the name of Jesus Christ. That, at that name, whether it be in heaven, earth, or under the earth, every name must bow itself, according to Philippians, to the name of Jesus. Can I have an amen? Some of you might say, well, pastor, I've used the name, and it didn't happen. That's what the disciples said. 
So here's the problem. Next point. Is everybody ready for this? The reason something didn't happen is because the confidence comes through relationship. See, sometimes you can't formulize fellowship. You can't formulize a miracle. You have to have relationship to have a miracle. You're not going to see the promise of God fulfilled, the promise of God work in your life without relation. Jesus, we did that, but it didn't work. How come? He says, these things come out by prayer, communion, relationship, fellowship with me. In the book of Acts, it's not in your notes, but Acts chapter 19, if you like bonus notes, there's a story. Some of you who've read the book of Acts, by the way, phenomenal book to build your faith and believe for miracles. But in Acts chapter 19, there's a story about the seven sons of Sceva. Has anybody ever heard that story before? Just a cool name. It's not a skin disease. It's the seven sons of Sceva. And there was this Jewish priest uh, who was trying to evoke an evil spirit from somebody. So it was more common. We dope everybody up and put them into a clinic who's possessed or oppressed by the devil. Just so you know, that's the, only, that's the only way, that's how America handles it. But in other countries, they don't have that, so they're out there on the streets, and it's just normal, and we see it all the time. But just so you know, they're all everywhere, okay? And so this person's trying to command an evil spirit out of this person, and, and these seven sons go along to help them, and guess what happens? The evil spirit speaks out of the person to these seven guys and says, Jesus I know, Paul I know, but I don't know you. And then he just does a UFC body slam, smackdown, pounce, just bludgeons these guys. One guy beats them to a pulp and they all go running, pulverized. It's in the Bible. You should read it. Okay? The point is you can't uh, omit fellowship, relationship when you're facing an enemy, when you're facing opposition, when you're in need of a miracle, you can't just uh, use the name of Jesus capriciously or in some cavalier kind of way without having intimacy or relationship with God. But when you do, listen to the sound of my voice, when you do, the Bible says, if our hearts don't condemn us, we have confidence before God. And whatever petition we bring before God, he will ask, you can ask it and he will answer that. It's relationship, everybody. Amen? Here's my final point. Everybody say final point. Praise the Lord. Your power comes through the cross. Your power comes through the cross. This is, this is it's critical. I, I wish I could preach all day on this, but let me just say this. It, it is your understanding and revelation that there's power in the finished work of the cross. Jesus did something when he was on the cross that day. He made, he made, uh, he triumphant, he triumphantly overcame the enemy, and he rendered all the power of the enemy, uh, uh, rendered the power of the enemy useless. In fact, in uh, I think it's in Colossians chapter two, verse fifteen. I don't know if this is in your notes, but it says this: and having disarmed the powers and authorities. In other words, what he did by what he did on the cross and then rising on the third day took all the power from the enemy, put it in what Jesus did, and then we can place our trust in that to overcome anything that we need power for. So in Colossians 2.15, and having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them. You thought you want, uh-uh, I want it all, triumphing over them by the cross. Power was available, made available to you and I by trusting in the finished work of the cross. Jesus didn't just die on the cross for your eternal security. He died on the cross so you could have authority in this life. 
over the situations and circumstances of this life. Is everybody with me? And it starts with a recognition of the grace of God for you in this relationship eternally with God, but it's going to help you with the temporal and the temporary here as well. When I was a young man, I was in school, and I, I, I was a terrible student, and I was, I was flunking out of Spanish. And the reason I was flunking out of Spanish is because my Spanish teacher was horrible. And, and one day my Spanish teacher got sick, and I didn't pray for that to happen, but I was grateful. And, and a substitute teacher came. And what my former teacher did was when you made mistakes or when you sinned or when you failed, she would write all your mistakes, your failures, and your sins on the board, on the whiteboard, on the chalkboard. And how many know I had a lot of real estate on that chalkboard, okay? And so this substitute teacher came in, already knew who I was, and so she addressed the class and said, hey, everybody, you're going to get a fresh start today. I'm going to erase all of your mistakes and all of your consequences off the board. I'll take the flag for it. I'll take responsibility for that with your teacher, even you, Derek. Well, hallelujah. Now, at that time, I was sitting in the back row. But after that, I sat in the front row because I got a fresh start. I wasn't motivated by all the negative circumstances on that board. I was motivated that I had been given a clean slate. It wasn't my mistakes that motivated me. It was the grace I received that became the fuel for my faith and my faithfulness thereafter. I was so grateful. Some of you, the finished work of the cross, that's what it is. You're living your life through the lens of a dirty chalkboard, a dirty windshield, and you're going through your life just thinking, you know what, I can never change, I can never see this happen. And as a result, you're also seeing false doctrine and unbelief and doubt all come in your life. And so you're not living in that grace zone with God, and you're not living in that faith zone with God either. And he wants that for you. So what I'd like to do is I'd like to pray for you right where you are. If you would, would you just close your eyes right where you are? Let's be very, very still. This is very, 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 very important. There's power in the cross for you to have a relationship with him. Then when you have a relationship with him, you have confidence. That any petition, any request, any situation, you know that he hears that. And that he responds to that. And then when you begin to use the name of Jesus Christ in all situations that you face, and when you have a crisis, when you have a crucial situation, and you have a defining moment, you can use that name with confidence, and the authority to see that thing come through is there for you. But you might be here today, and you haven't made that first step. You haven't received the benefits of the finished work of Calvary. Jesus paid for your sin. Will you let him wipe that slate clean for you? You don't have to pay for it. He already did. So with every head bowed, every eye closed, if you've never done that before, I'm just going to ask you to boldly raise your hand, with, take some courage and just say, Pastor, pray for me. I want to make sure that, that I'm, I'm okay with God. I'm in relationship with God. It, I want to make it personal today. If that's you, raise it good and high. Be courageous. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. There's four of you over there. Five, six, seven. That's great. Eight, nine. Thank you. Ten. Yes, that's so good. Thank you over there, sister. I see your hand over there. That's awesome. All the way in the back, I see your hand. That's awesome. You can put your hands down. That's so great. I'm so proud of you for your courage. 
Now, maybe you're here today, and, and you've, been, you've been living in that frustration zone. You haven't, you haven't been living in faith. You've been living in doubt, and you've allowed the, 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 the disconnect from God and the overconnect to the world, and you've received, in a sense, a rebuke from God, a healthy rebuke from God. Uh, oh, unbelieving generation, and you want to believe, believe again. You want to transfer your trust, not just of your eternity, but your problems to God. If that's you, and you know that you going to believe for miracles again and you're going to start exercising your faith and you're going to start using the name of Jesus if that's you and you want to be an active Christian again would you raise your hand and say that's me pastor that's me come on get in on it don't miss it be bold thank you Jesus thank you Jesus for every person that's going to say yes to God and turn to God amen let's pray together let's just pray this together all of us together first of all that first group uh, you're, you're praying this from your heart but we're all joining you say Jesus I invite you into my life afresh today to be my Savior. Thank you for wiping my sins clean. You remove them as far as the east is from the west because of the finished work of the cross. I receive salvation today. Father, for every person who prayed that prayer, I thank you for that decision. I pray that decision move into becoming a disciple. And then for the people who raise their hand, I pray that you give them the courage to believe God, that they see that their miracle that they're going to need is connected to the name that's above every name. Whatever the problem is, they turn to you first. They don't turn to ibuprofen. They don't turn to their mama. They turn to Jesus Christ, who is the source and the solution and the supernatural power for all of our problems in the pressing present. And I pray in Jesus' name that they would trust you and rely on that name and that that relationship through use of the name and activity and trusting and doing and praying and trusting and doing and praying we get stronger and stronger and stronger so it becomes a common occurrence to see miracles in the house of God in Jesus name and everybody said amen and amen come on let's give the Lord a big hand clap God bless